Welcome to another episode of Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Eric and Gina Robinson. We are studying through First Kings right now. Yes, we are. And um, really enjoying doing a narrative from yeah, the Old Testament lots of fun. that we can um, look at in a historical way. Certainly. But also step back and look at it through topological eyes. Yes. And get a sense of where it fits into the whole of scripture. Right. And it is extremely important. Yes. And both of those are important. Yes. I mean, you need to see it for what it is in its time. You understand? Mm-hmm. Never lose sight of the fact that ultimately Jesus is at the heart of the text. Well, I think that always helps us to understand it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because sometimes um, it's just very confusing if mm-hmm. we're looking at and it, we get confused about what is God letting happen here you know yes. and yeah. but if we can step back and look at it uh, in a different way through a different lens yep then it becomes clearer oh yes what's going on so Agreed. for sure Agreed. well we had talked last time about Solomon asking for a hearing heart mm-hmm. uh, for right. that wisdom God is, from yes. God and yes which God uh, was pleased to give him yes and so he's just kind of at the end of our last episode he had woken up after this exchange mm-hmm. with God yep. and it was a dream yep. and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings yes. and made a feast for all his servants Very so we had talked like about priest. yes, Strange. this priestly look mm-hmm. that he had here and yep. Uh, what that means how kings aren't supposed to do priestly duties mm-hmm. and uh, so on and so he and David are very unique in that along with Jesus yeah. acting as king and priest Yes. and so that's where we had ended last time so this next part though of chapter 3 I think is um, like a great example of the wisdom mm-hmm. that he's right. received from us God getting a, yeah very clear example of what it is that he can use that to do. So we can, unless you have something else? I really don't. I think it'd be great to jump in. This is a really great text, and I don't see how we get to the heart of this without some typology and some other thoughts about the things that are happening besides this very event itself. This event is interesting, but really, wow, to get to the heart of what's happening here. This is a story most of us have heard, and... um, but really not giving a lot of deep thought to just I remember as a child hearing this and thinking well that's a terrible story but um, <laughs> yeah yeah just sounds so crazy yes and it sounds like terrible on one level so yeah let's read it verse uh, we can get 16 else out of it. through the end of the chapter and then okay have a look at it Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house, only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. 
And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse the child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, Oh, my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall, neither, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered, and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Okay. This story is enough to make all Israel see his great wisdom for what it is. Whatever that may mean on its face, and there, and and this story, you know, could easily be some true story in some in some scenario where Solomon was faced with just such a situation between people who, you know, at least one of them who is clearly incompetent um, <laughs> mentally. But we see things like that emotionally you know, unstable happening today, so yeah. I tend to think it. That it could easily be a true story. Absolutely. And I would say say on some level, this is actually happening. Solomon's having to deal with this issue. Yes. Exactly how this works out, you know, is is, can be uh, understood on that level, but then it can also be understood on other levels, which is why it's here, I think. So we'll talk about it all, all of these kind of simultaneously here as we go. One thing about the text that uh, has been noted about the Hebrew is that as you're reading through this text, we get a lot of help from words like first and other when it's talking about these two women in our text. The first one speaks right. and the other and stuff like that. Well, in the Hebrew, that's not there. It simply oh. keeps saying the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman, the woman. Oh. So. Now you're like trying to follow their conversation. Mm-hmm. Wait, who's who? What's who's saying what? Who's doing saying what about who did what? And this leaves the reader on kind of a, a kind of a difficult place to perceive. Okay, wait a second. Which woman am I looking at? Which one is the one who really the child belongs right. to? And that's what you're supposed to hear, obviously, because the text itself is written in a way to put you in a place where you're having a hard time keeping track and making a decision right. about who this child really belongs to it's like the um, shell game or something right almost like a like a literary shell game so that by the end the reader's like wait a second i'm not sure which which is which which one am i supposed to be so is that to lead the reader to um really appreciate the wisdom that solomon had in knowing being able to follow the story even i think so i certainly think so I think that's where the reader is being taken 
to a place where they have to just acknowledge that Saul, okay, whew, glad men like Solomon are here to keep right. up he with that. He can see through all of their yeah. confusing well, storytelling. Storytelling and what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. He's just doing it for you literarily as a reader. I'm putting you in a similar position of not knowing what to do. Who's talking? Which one's which? I forget who did what. And so we're so Solomon, yes. Yeah, so it makes us just giving us a chance to appreciate Solomon even more for what he's the wisdom that he's bringing to the table. Now we go back to this idea again of okay, there's the there's the level of reality, which has been even questioned or not questioned, questioned certainly, but made fun of. Um, certainly today even still made fun of there's a very very you know well-known well-established comedian uh, in our American culture who is uh, raised Jewish um, and knows this story and has a whole bit that he does on this story Mm -hmm. and how crazy it is how stupid Mm -hmm. sounding it is like who would believe that something like this could actually be true or even remotely or how does this show that Solomon is being, so wise? Yeah, well, yeah. why would he even be called wise? Doesn't everybody know you don't <laughs> that cut baby cutting animal. babies in half and, and uh, is a bad thing to do? How silly this is to, to find the right mother by doing huh. this. And so, so you can come to it if you come to it with that lens. You're going to wind up wondering. What am I supposed to get from this? Is this really a valid story? Why should I take anything from it? It's so odd sounding, you know. If you're going to let culture do that to you as you interpret this, then you will wind up in a bad place trying to, you know, because you'll be, you'll just be thinking poorly of it before you ever get here. But what if God knows what he's doing? What if he's inserted a story here that means more than the story itself? What if in so many ways, like he does all the time, he's trying to get more across to the reader than just the simple story on his face? So one of the things, of course, I will, you know, as I say this, we're looking for types. We're looking for types in scripture that's what we're doing when we're finding things like this or other things almost anything we can ask ourselves huh does this sound like another story is there something about this that makes it lines up with another thing in scripture that sounds very similar well these two prostitutes living in the same house this is no small thing we could also say by the way that on the surface level even on the surface level the historical level this also indicates that Solomon is a king who even judges between the prostitutes in his kingdom. He doesn't mind going to the lowest row. As a matter of fact, he does it. They all and, and come tries to him. give good okay. judgment. Doesn't just do it flippantly, but tries to give good judgment, even to the lowest, what would be considered the lowest row in his kingdom. He's, he's there for them, and he's wanting to. So we're seeing some typology, obviously, in that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we should be doing, what Jesus does through us. But... Then we've also got this two prostitute uh, typology, this two prostitute idea, like we see in places like Ezekiel 23. Ezekiel 23 has North Israel and South Israel called two prostitutes. They're two whores. They've gone around and prostituted themselves to the nations. And one tried to do it and got in bad trouble for it. North Israel got taken away for it. But then Judah was too dumb to see 
that that was a bad plan, and they went and did it themselves too,、mm-hmm. prostituted themselves, and then they got carted away into Babylonian captivity. And so, so what we're seeing here, we're like, oh, wait a second, two prostitutes. So it's two just a picture of <laughs> because this is the very thing that's going to happen as soon as Solomon's reign ends. Right. As soon as his reign ends and Rehoboam comes to the throne, there's going to be a kingdom split: Judah and Israel, North Israel, South Israel, or Judah, South Israel, and Israel, which was what we call North Israel. The ten tribes and the two tribes will split from each other, and they become and will become these two prostitutes, these two whoring, independent. Functioning nations, very tied together by blood and by their history and by everything, but now splitting because the ten tribes don't want to live under the rule of this、uh, Davidic kingdom anymore because、mm-hmm. they were, felt like they were being pressed too hard,、uh, and maybe they were. They may have had a very legitimate case there, but they decide to split because of it. This is where we get our two prostitutes. They're living in the same house. They're in the same house. Exactly. They're in the same house. Two prostitutes of the same house who are each claiming to have a a live son that is legitimately theirs, while the dead son belongs to the other prostitute. Now, what are we talking about there? Who is the son that they're talking、uh, about? Who would be the son, the, the most important son in your kingdom? The legitimate king. The king. Mm-hmm. The king. So each、oh、of these,、um, the king of the king of the kingdom, the son of the kingdom, or the son of God, as it were,、right. because God Himself has told David, "I'll call your son my son."、Mm-hmm. So now they're each claiming that they have, and God's bride is the people. Right.、And、so the people are each claiming they have God's son, and He's alive, and He's the right one. My son's the live son. The other son's the dead son. Her son's the dead son. One tries to steal the son of the other. Who's what? Who's trying to steal whom? What whom? Son? What we, <laughs> it's a very convoluted story, and、yes. it's supposed to be. Now, as readers, we know. Wait a second. The line of David is the true line, and we're absolutely right on that. Right. We're right on that. But as people of that day, who are mad and politics and all the、right. things that are involved there. And they're they're trying to establish themselves, and they're saying、uh, the Judaic line has gone astray, and you know they're not true Israel anymore. And you've got you know legitimate so-called Ill, illegitimate heirs, but calling themselves legitimate, setting themselves up in Samaria,、uh, in Ephraim. So now, what do we do? We've got two sons, both claiming to be, or yeah. Two, yeah. two prostitutes, both claiming to be to have, have the, the proper son,、mm-hmm. the right son. So, but, but so, how do we get to the bottom of this? How does Solomon get to the bottom of this?、Mm-hmm. He says, "Hey, I got an idea. We'll let half go to each one.、Right. We'll take this live boy that、mm-hmm. we have here. We'll cut him in half, and you can each have half." Right. What is it? What does the Woman say, the one woman say to prove to Solomon, which proves to Solomon that she must be the rightful she says, mother. 
oh no, give the, give the boy to the other woman because she wants it's her son and she doesn't want him to die. Yes. So she's, she's willing to so, sacrifice. Uh, yeah. Not being his mother. Even being with him mm-hmm. if it means that he doesn't have to die. So it's by her complete and utter. I mean, this is a mother giving up her son. Mm-hmm. To a woman that she knows is bad. Right. But she's willing to give him up to save his life. Her self-sacrifice here is tremendous. So it is her self-sacrifice that identifies her as the proper mother. The mother of choice. The mother who is rightfully the mother is identified by her complete and utter self-sacrifice. So even though she's a prostitute, which she is, nobody's arguing that. Mm -hmm. She's a prostitute. She's gone astray. Both of them are prostitutes who've gone astray. Everybody, guess what? Everybody's prostitutes. Right. As I was say, all God's people have been called prostitutes by Him. Yes. But the one to whom, ones to whom the ultimate, to the the living Son, the living King, belong, Mm -hmm. are the ones who have hearts of complete self-sacrifice, who are willing to lay down all of their rights for the sake of the true son, for the sake of the true son. So that you willing live. to lay down everything. Yes, right. those are the ones who prove themselves to be. It's not about a geographic locale. Now here, obviously, in Solomon's day, immediately after Solomon's day, the pointer is to the fact that Judah still has the true son. There is a rightful prostitute, a prostitute who rightfully has the true son on the throne. But even she will go astray. They'll go into captivity. It'll be ugly. However, this ultimately points to Jesus because there are two peoples, two kinds of people who want to lay hold of God's son. Those who want him for their own advantage over everybody else and to prove that they're right and to get all they can with what they can and then there are those who are willing to say you know what he is so important that I'm willing to give up all of my rights for him not to be for his self his being not to be tarnished not to be mm-hmm. you know there's no way to split him right. we don't get we don't get to have my Jesus and your Jesus you get yours I get mine no I don't want that I would rather lay down all of my rights and know that Jesus is fully and completely who he's meant to be, that he is all of his, you know, he's fully intact, as it were, and and being all that God called him to be as the son, um, and trust that somehow good will come out of that. Wow. Um, is that self-sacrifice? Yeah, that's really helpful with this story, because it does seem kind of just like a, like a little... Moral, yeah. What do you call those kinds of stories? Okay. Well, like Aesop's fables or something. Yeah. Some yeah. Sort of, yes. Fable. A, yeah. So that we get some at the end. Oh look. Oh look. So always tell the truth, you know, yeah. or always what? Always give up of give give up, you know, give up something that you want in order for the greater good to be attained, mm-hmm. or something like that, which is a nice thing to say in a way. But ultimately, it doesn't get us to the heart of what's Definitely going on. Definitely has bigger implications if we think about God's people. Yes. And about how 
they've prostituted themselves yes. and this um, yeah. dividing of the kingdom and all of that that you just talked about mm-hmm. that's just really um, that's really good yeah yeah uh, I think we may see something not terribly unlike this as we keep going in Kings but we'll talk about that later on when we get further down the road um, but I do think this is a type that we're seeing here and this is it's just interesting that this is the story Mm-hmm. That gets recorded. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Uh, why do we even get this story? Mm-hmm. Why a, do we, and that's know, I think a question we'd have to ask. It's a little story here. about two prostitutes who came before Solomon for judgment. Of all the things, yes, it seems odd for this to be the one that's included, unless it's got a whole lot more meat on it than mm-hmm. we've given it credit. Because why would it have that kind of implication? Yes. Why would everybody have even heard about it? That's it's right. Seems like all Israel heard of this judgment. Yeah. It's like okay, well, it's kind of interesting, but really, this is the example the example you give to prove to us that Solomon has divine wisdom at work. Okay, then there's got to be more to this than just right. a surface story, because the surface story isn't enough. And that's truly, it's going to leave us wanting. Um, if you're being honest, I think if we're all being honest, we'll cover this and go, okay, that's all there is. Just like, okay, chop the baby in half. And then you wait for one of them to say, no, 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 I don't want him chopped in half. And then you go, oh, you must be the real mother. And then you go, it's no wonder people would make fun of that and say, well, if that's all there is to it, that's just silly. And that's in your Bible. That's in your big book, the important book. Yeah, I think yeah. I think this is this, really going so this much seems further. Prophetic. Yeah, very prophetic. It's actually a very prophetic word put at the beginning of this book. And when it says all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, I just wonder if that. I mean, I'm sure people did hear about it, but I just wonder if that doesn't mean it doesn't say the people who were there right then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All Israel eventually heard yes. about all this and all, you know, yes. and saw the prophecy in it. Right. Absolutely. Later, even. Yep. I mean, even of those, even of, the, of North Israel who goes off to captivity um, before Judah does, I would say there are, you know, when we're talking about people groups, mm-hmm. come on, there were people in that group of people who were very self sacrificial for Yahweh. Oh, yeah. He knows how to see through. Mm-hmm. Just the you know, the dividing line isn't really the border mm-hmm. on the on the map. Right, that isn't God's dividing line. So He's looking for people of self sacrifice. It's the people of self sacrifice who will become who are the true mm-hmm. bride, even though they've committed prostitution. Who are the true bride and therefore the wow. true mother of the Son? Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Big deal. So let's now let's just talk a little bit yeah. about for, this next section is um, full of names. And places, and places that are places. hard to pronounce, and I'm afraid it will just get, Confusing. yeah, and, and laughable. Boring, frankly, <laughs> and boring. And uh, between four one and four nineteen, it's all right. from four one to four nineteen. Now, this is put in the text here, I believe, because we have another example of how Solomon's wisdom is being used. Yes. This isn't him judging in a court setting. There aren't any more of those. But this is the way his kingdom is now structured. Right. Now we're seeing him set up um, a hierarchy in his kingdom. Yes. Uh, organ- organize yep. people over things and right. different areas. So, yeah. Yeah. So, even from the very beginning, those first few verses, 
there are a total of 11 names between 4-1 and 4-6 um, people who have been put over uh, these different areas in Solomon's kingdom. And we see the word officials used there um, in 4-2 in the ESV. Mm-hmm. Officials. Well, that's the same word that gets used in 1 Chronicles 24-3, 1 uh, Kings, also 1 Kings 22-19. Daniel 10.20 and Daniel 12.1 and it's related to heavenly things, mm-hmm. the heavenly place. Okay. Um, and so in other words, Solomon's got an eye toward keeping his kingdom set up, kind of like the heavenly kingdom is set up. Because so, God has shown him to do that. Exactly. He's got a mind it's a that, mirror oh, of his divine wisdom, yes, mm-hmm. he wants to make his kingdom look like God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. What we've got here in this kingdom of peace is very much like Jesus's prayer on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of what we have going on. Solomon is trying to take that kind of thought to heart and build something on earth that is connected to and even kind of a visual of what God has done in heaven. Right. So these first 19 verses are about him setting up these high officials. That's right. And there's 24 names in here. That takes us to places like Revelation where we see 24 elders before the throne. So we've got the throne room of God. We've got 24 elders there. It's as if we have, again, a setup of 24. We can question all day why there's 24. We can talk about 12 tribes and 12 apostles, which I think is probably a good way to see what's mm-hmm. going on in Revelation throne room. But whatever, but what, but why Solomon saw 24, I can't tell you. I don't know exactly. Um, why Solomon would say 24 was because God told him right except that God told him (laughs) except that God has yes um, imparted this he had prayed for a hearing heart and so I think he's hearing that yeah yeah and certainly working in 12s makes all the Mm -hmm. sense in the world when you're an Israelite right Um, and so so yeah these 24 are set up here I have 24 names in here 1 through 19 and they're to point to the fact that Solomon is very cognizant of how his kingdom should reflect what God does in heaven. People should be able to look at his kingdom. And we're going to see this isn't the only place this happens. This happens over and over. Peter Lyard talks about it uh, quite a bit uh, in his commentary on kings. So I'll continue. I don't I want to give credit where credit's due. I'll make several references to him as mm-hmm. we're walking throughout these chapters, but um, things that he points out. But what we're seeing here because of that we will continue to see how solomon wants his kingdom to reflect god's kingdom so that when people look at it they see god's kingdom this should be obviously what we want to do as we set up right the church or organize our church organize us ourselves as a community of god followers we should be reflecting what's actually going on in heaven. Right. And it so, doesn't have to be a literal one. Right. That we have 24 of everything or right. something. No. But exactly. Um, but this is just being more written out for us here like this so we can see that it's a reflection of yes what you're saying is exactly right. We, but it should be enough that you look at us and you say, oh is God like that? Is that what God's kingdom is like? Well I want to be part of something like that. Yeah. Um, just by the way we act, by how we treat each other, by how we are, the systems we establish, our godly systems, and obviously the ways of communicating with each other, and yeah, all of that should be here. So that that's really being 
kind of put forth through just these, even the way this particular structure mm -hmm. is organized here. Now, I will saying all that, I will say this, Lightheart also says that he is wondering, Lightheart also wonders and really kind of leans toward, in his commentary, the idea that what we're also seeing though here is something bad creep in because Solomon has not structured the kingdoms by God's dividing lines. That these, oh, these different the regions right. are, are not, not lined not up with the troubles. That's right. right. They're not God's sectioning out of lands. This is the way Solomon has sectioned things out. And so we are aware as, as careful readers, we're not seeing the, not like we're seeing the degradation or the downfall of the kingdom here, but we're getting hints that, mm, Something, something a little off. is a little amiss here, even for just a little yes. sour note every once in a while. Right. <laughs> but there's also another way to see it where you're still thinking, okay, but really though, there's no reason to believe that Solomon has gone off the rails right. yet because the text hasn't told us that. No, it has not. Everything seems to be headed on a good path, and I I do feel like everything's headed on a good path right up until until we get to chapter nine, until right after Solomon's prayer to dedicate the temple. We don't see bad things is really how I kind of am coming to feel about this. But I am certainly not saying that that's not what's happening. It could be that nothing horrible, but just these little, you know how it is. We just let little things creep in that aren't necessarily no bad, bad on their yeah, face. But when you look on. back, you can see how maybe yeah. that was... Uh, you know, just crossing a little bit of a line, just, yeah. I don't know, yeah. taking some exactly liberties that maybe we shouldn't have. Right. Right. So For that's sure. interesting to think about and look at as we go forward. Well, we're really out of time now, yep. but we've come to the end of this. And if you want to go read all those hard names. Yep, feel free. Um, They're all there for you. Practice them. Yep. <laughs> that's <laughs> great. Yep, yeah, but you can go count them too. There's 24. It's a really mm -hmm. interesting deal that's being set up there for us to see. And so. probably some of them have some interesting meanings. We just no doubt, no doubt. One of them is the official king's friend at the end. Of I know. I did verse like that, that. He has an official friend. I don't know if that's. Yeah, it is a true title. You know, we see it more than once in the Old Testament. Used as somebody was the king's friend. Was king's friend. And so, like, really interesting. Like, well, well, well the, we think maybe something like a chief of staff or something okay. like that. You might say a chief of staff today or something like that. But I was going to say, I wonder what his job was sure. exactly. Yeah. Uh, go play sure. games, watch TV with me. <laughs> exactly. That's what you feel like. <laughs> I want to be the king's friend. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> cool. Right? Go to parties um, together. Exactly. Uh, well, great to Great to talk to you guys. So glad yes. you listened again. This is good stuff. As we're in Kings, stick Excellent. with us. We'll be getting into more of chapter four next time as we get together. Hope you have a great few days. God bless you all. And we will talk to you very soon.